like cries <laughs> <laughs> being mean to me. <laughs> he really is bleeding his emotions. <laughs> oh, hey, hey, woman being. We were just having a really great conversation, and um, we're excited to dive deeper into our conversation today about feminist film theory with the amazing Kerwin Kuniyoshi. And so, yeah, let's dive right in. Is that really going to be our intro? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Woman Being Podcast community, where we explore thoughts and opinions and have the freedom to change our minds. Without expectation or judgment, we will hold a safe space and support each other as we navigate together in the form of feminine. So, Kerwin was involved in the commercial media production industry for 11 plus probably 12 now years because i feel i feel like well still, <laughs> still are, is. but still i feel am. like you've been saying 11 years for the last two years that i've known you so it's got to be 12 now on some level yeah. and Maybe. you you were also a film studies major at berkeley so um that is why he's here today to share about feminist film theory with us so first question being can you define feminist film theory and what first piqued your interest about feminist film theory? Yeah. So feminist film theory is a subsect of film theory. Um, and so to get, I won't get too far into the weeds about it, but film theory is essentially um, understanding that there's a conversation happening between culture and film. And uh, film classes in that regard kind of teach you how to listen and how to engage with what is being said. And so like, there are multiple layers of meaning too. And so it's like, it's kind of pushing past the obvious, obvious like meaning and going further and further and trying to like see what they call <clears throat> symptomatic meaning, which is things that people don't intend to transmit, but actually like get in there because of nature, nurture, politics, cultural things like that. So feminist film theory would be then just the examination of gender dynamics, especially with regards to women representation in film, as well as women as an audience of film. Is, wow. that, is that good? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like it came right out of Merriam-Webster or something. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> well, and yeah. so you started the study of feminist film theory then in, in college. Yeah. And you have... He pioneered it. Yeah. He began it. <laughs> yeah. I'm a big... We have the I'm creator a legend when it comes to like, feminist, feminist film, film theory. theory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, your second part of the question was what piqued my interest. Yeah. So um, in college, we had to take a film theory class as mandatory. And one of the topics was feminist film theory. And honestly, I wasn't that interested in it um, just because I grew up in the Midwest where like the, the term feminist was like seen as a bad thing. Um, but once we got into it, I had to read this article called Body Talk by Kaja Silverman. And um, she talks about singing in the rain as an example of <clears throat> the disembodied voice. How the whole plot of the movie is you have an attractive woman whose voice doesn't sound very good. And so they separate her, her body from her voice and they give her a new voice that sounds more pleasant. And then when all that blows up in their face, the men repair the damage that they created by Frankensteining this woman together. And it's the first time I'm like, oh my gosh, like I've, I've watched that film, I love that film, but I've never thought of it in that regard. And wow, what have I been perpetuating? And then we got further into it. Um, the first big article in feminist film theory came out in 1973 from Laura Mulvey, who was like one of the pioneers of feminist film theory. And she talked about, um, was it visual pleasure and the narrative cinema. 
And at this point, you know, people have been really watching film or studying film in terms of like language or in terms of politics, but not necessarily like psychoanalyzing film. And so she kind of introduced Freud and, and Jungian theory into film theory. I mean, she wasn't the first one to do it, but she really kind of helped push that. And especially feminist ideas within psychoanalysis. Um, and so she talked about like the, the, male, uh, the male gaze and scopophilia and like how the camera was essentially like a perverted man's eye. Uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, is that true? And so I started watching these movies and like, oh my gosh, it totally is true. Like you watch a Hitchcock, Hitchcock film, you're like, the dude's kind of a pervert based upon like, the way he put, where he puts his camera and like what he's showing you and like how the camera sometimes feels like you're peering into places you shouldn't be looking into, you know? Uh, the obvious one would be like the shower sequence in Psycho. Mm. Like, <clears throat> why should the male be like in the shower? I don't know, you know? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, yeah. that's what started it. Yeah, that's incredible. And also we talked about like other examples of that, like with the when a woman's walking down the street in the stereotypical film, you know, there's sort of the down up camera move that sort of shows her whole body. And that's sort of reminiscent of the like the up down. Totally. That women get and stuff like that. Are there other examples? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, in film noir, the big thing is you either have two, the big thing is you have two female characters, either the femme fatale who uses sex and her body to like lure men into danger, or you have the subservient woman who will do whatever the man says. There's no in between. That's what you get. Um, <clears throat> my wife hates the movie It's a Wonderful Life because the woman in it is like, whatever you want here, you can blow up at us, you can run away, you can be a jerk. And we'll still love you, you know, like mm. <clears throat> there's no repercussions in our marriage for how you've acted towards all of us. Um, so, as, you know, but the classic film. Mm. When the Me Too movement came out and someone posted about like what it's like to be a woman on Facebook and like um, carrying their keys between their fingers when they go to the car. <clears throat> After I read it, I was like, is that really true? And so I asked my wife, like, is that really true? And she's like, oh, yeah, that's totally true. And then she talked about how like when she meets a man there's always like that thought in the back of her head like are you gonna be creepy and i was like is that this is true um and obviously you're shaking your head like yeah that's totally yeah, true definitely. <clears throat> i didn't know that and part of it is because if i watch film and television you know you never see that mm. like you don't ever see in a very casual like sorry you would see a woman looking over her shoulder going to her car in like a scary sequence yeah. Mm-hmm. But you never see it as she just is casually going to her car. You don't see that like moment of like, okay, I'm putting my keys there as like a, a, a portrayal of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not seen in film as like, this is every day. This yeah. is like not right. just what's happening in a scary sequence or in something that's building suspense in the film. It's like, no, this is just normal. Exactly. And I think, I think that part is like kind of missing from film is that if these realities are true, and I'm a man, so I don't know that, but they're true, then like, that should just be part of the narrative and not like highlighted. It's just kind of like in the same way that people wear clothes in a film and it's not like a big deal. The same should be true for like, hey, like as a woman, I have to think about this stuff. It's just what it is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in a way that shouldn't be the way that it is. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes. It is. But a, it, an accurate portrayal. Uh, yeah. Like this is the, the, the world that women are living in as opposed to like sort of. Hollywood has created this dream world that women live in where, you know, 
everything's fine until there's a big serious threat and then everything's not fine. Right. Um, but what <clears throat> film isn't portraying is that the seemingly ordinary can actually be very threatening to the female experience. Like the, you know, grabby coworker or the, you know, I don't even know. I'm trying to think of other, just like male figures or even female figures in, in your life that have power over you and could mm-hmm. take advantage in all sorts of different ways. Yeah. So like, as we're talking about like this picture, this picturesque, um, experience of a story that Hollywood is continuously putting out. We're talking about the importance of including all portions of the female experience. What makes a film feminist or not feminist? Like, how do you know? See, it's interesting because <clears throat> I'm not always a big, big fan of labeling films like that. Um, I mean, as someone who is Asian, or you could say half Asian, I don't like think about films as like, oh, it's an Asian film. I mean, even Crazy Rich Asians, I know like people like love the fact that it's like this big Asian American film or um, Joy Luck Club would be another big like all Asian cast. But I never watch them with that kind of lens. Um, Like Crazy Rich Asians is like a comedy with some or or dramedy, that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. you know? Joy Luck Club is, is, is a dramedy. It's like a, it's a story about family, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. So like, I, it's harder for me to determine what is a feminist film. Like, is it, is it, is it because a woman directed it mm-hmm. or wrote it or because a woman or women are, are the main actors in it? I, mean, I don't know. Like, I think that there's part of the discussion in feminist film theory is that it's not just about who is working on the film. It's... This, I have this bigger like topic of like the language of cinema, um, and I think like one of the assumptions that is is in that idea, the language of cinema, is one, the 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 image or like a a film actually has meaning to it beyond its um, like its story mm. or beyond, beyond its themes. Like mm. <clears throat> directors have intentions behind the film, but they're actually they're. The idea behind language of cinema is that there's actually deeper meaning beyond that, mm-hmm. um, and that if we're not cognizant of that, if we are not aware of like the construction of a of a film based upon these ideas of language, then we're missing actually the greater conversation. So a woman could direct, a woman could write. It could be an all woman cast. It could be like all woman crew. But if you're not aware that the language you're employing has actually been developed primarily by men. Mm-hmm then you've actually, I think in my opinion, you're, you're perpetuating in some ways the problem. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. So from what I'm hearing you say, it's almost like it's not even a matter of whether a film itself is feminist or not feminist, but mm-hmm. about the influence of feminism on film as a whole. It's mm-hmm. like, are women included in the, in the cast and crew? Are women part of the storytelling? Are women helping to redefine the, the, the language of cinema as you referenced? Rather than like this film is a feminist film or not. Yeah, I mean it's it's super important that we are allowing allowing. Sorry, that sounds bad. That women are directing, women are writing, women are editing. That's a so I'm not trying to diminish that part at all. But it's more to say that I mean even when you think about race, you know, and and it's important that we have people of color in the same way. But if they don't realize the language was developed by white men, I mean the first. 
big Hollywood film was Birth of a Nation, where the the villain is a slave and the hero is a KKK person. Like, you have to realize that the, the language of Hollywood cinema was birthed. It was racist. <laughs> out of that. It was right. very racist. <laughs> right. And if you're not actually learning the language as it, as it was developed and then examining it from the perspective of a person of color, then you're actually missing out on the opportunity to change the industry from its core. Mm. So the same would be true for women. Like if you don't realize that the early examples of like film experiments involved women walking across the stage naked in front of a camera and going, why? Why do they have to be naked? Why? Like, what's the point of that? You don't realize that it's because men are like adopting or creating a language that, that is for them. It's what I want to see. Um, and so if you're not redefining what those, the, the vocabulary, what the sem- semantics, what the grammar of it looks like, and you don't even realize that that film is a language, then you could keep making movies with women in these core positions and and, and, can, and perpetuate the problem still. Yeah. Well, that's what I've seen as a huge trend. I coined this myself, but it's not a thing. I, I, I think <laughs> the last few years have been like the the era of the female heroine where we have we have Rey in Star Wars. We have some amazing Disney princess movies with strong characters. But then we also have Ocean's 13 and Ghostbusters with a female cast. And it's like we're taking these same films that we've always had and we're just throwing women in it and being like, okay, we're good, right? And it's like it's actually it's more than just sort of creating a female Captain Marvel and calling it good. Like there's actual perceptions and, and ways that even just in the composition of our shots that we're accustomed to that like are from the very beginning built by the male gaze, which is not all bad, but it has definitely served to objectify women and like paint a picture of what being a female is that we've just subconsciously absorbed over decades. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I mean, and I think that it's sort of, it's, all of those things in tandem that really mm-hmm. work towards creating more like inclusive filmmaking. Like mm-hmm. it, it means bringing in and empowering and um, lifting up female directors, editors, producers, crew members, actors, whatever. Um, but also at the same time, bringing that awareness and that consciousness to change that language that you're talking about, whether you are a man or a woman mm-hmm. within film. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, it, I think that it's it's the responsibility of all parties included to um, push towards this, this uh, like, progression in film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we've seen, too, I mean, like, an example of this that I see just in culture, it's not specific to film, is that the objectification of women has become, like, like we're scorning that we're saying that's bad we don't condone that Mm -hmm. however it sometimes feels like rather than like not objectifying people like the counter to that has been like women can objectify men and so like there have been quote feminist themed films that instead of the the woman being the sexy assistant it's a man who's the sexy assistant Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and ghostbusters 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. The female the cast. The female cast. Which is not necessarily like progress in any way. It's just like no. a reversal of roles. But it's just flipping it. Right. And saying, well, now it's equal. Like, right. No. But the problem is like. It's not. <laughs> when we objectify people like that, we're just stripping them of their humanity. And whether it's men or women or white people or black people or half Asian people, like that's a problem. Thank you. And Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it is a problem. Yes. And cinema perpetuates. Or, most of cinema, I would say, perpetuates that and has built a lot of the way that we think about everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, another thing that's interesting, though, is that, like, the idea of shooting from the the male gaze is actually not only demeaning to women, but it's also demeaning to men in a lot of ways mm-hmm. because the male gaze, like, tropes of cinema see men as very single-faceted characters as well. Like, men can only be this masculine, this manly, this toxic person. They can't show emotions unless it's, like, sports or (laughs) military-related. And, like, they, like, can't have um, the sort of depth and the vulnerability that that men are capable of and do have. Like, it it waters down men as well. Mm Um, and sure. puts them into a box. And I think that true, like, true feminism is, is advocate, advocating for equality, right? Like, it's it's seeking equality. It's not seeking women to, to have men now be the secretaries. <laughs> it's um, not seeking for men to be some sort of subservient to women, but it's it's seeking for everyone to be in um, an, an equal and a safe and a, like, appropriately... Um, conveyed place when it's when it's on the screen right Mm -hmm. so that's like another part of it is that like there's actually i mean which is true of feminism in general like it hurts more than just women like it it Mm -hmm. it actually is meant to benefit everybody in the end because everyone benefits when when everyone is prospering Mm -hmm. yes agreed and no one benefits when people are Portrayed as less than. Yes. Whether you're the, the victim of that or the perpetrator of that, it's, it's not good for society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Like it's a, yeah. It's not a happy thing for humanity. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, if you figure that that there's a, lot, a strong correlation between like serial killers and pornography, for instance. You know, so <clears throat> if on a very low level, young boys are subjugated in film to objectification of women. Like, what are we actually planting into our kids? You know, like, it's not pornography, but there's enough of, like, these little droplets, you know, here or there. Like, are young boys becoming desensitized to, like, the, the fullness of, of a woman because they've seen it portrayed on screen as, like, oh, you're just there for, like, for my eye candy. I mean, like, yeah, I don't know, but, like, that would be one of the implications of this whole thing is that, you know, we're, we're teaching our children and girls too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like how to view themselves and stuff and yeah. well, how I to would be say, successful. Yeah, like um, and when beauty is the, the only measure of success, you mm-hmm. know, like no wonder we have body image issues and yeah. like eating disorders and like all of the other things that come along with that because we've, defined the value of a woman based on her beauty and her ability to sing well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of the tropes we see is like either the the like sexy beautiful woman who's like the the um object of the male protagonist's 
lust or prize that he is to win mm. within this film. And then the other hand, if there's other women in it, they're probably sort of funny or frumpy and mm-hmm. they're not an object of desire and maybe a little bit stupid as well. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they're sort of portrayed as, yeah. like there's kind of, there's not that in between mm-hmm. in that in a lot of cases. Um, I mean, it's been improving, but... It has been, yeah. I would say that we've made progress. Mm-hmm. Would you say that we've made progress? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, because, I, I mean, I, at least from my perspective... I mean, sorry, we're making improvements because there are far more female directors out there nowadays, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Ava DuVernay, obviously, like, the first woman to direct, uh, like, was it over $100 million budget? That's amazing, you know. Um Patty Jenkins, the woman who who uh, did Wonder Woman, both of them. You know how, like, I think at some point she was ready to walk out on number two mm-hmm. because they weren't willing to pay her wow. a, a good wage. Um, but that's awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and there's tons more than that, um, obviously. Greta, uh, Lady Bird. Greta Ger- Ger- Gerlow. Gerwig. Greta Gerwig. Sorry if you watch watch this. We put your name. Yeah, sorry, Greta. I know she's a big we fan. Know you're <laughs> yeah. We'll tag you. <laughs> um, no, so we're making progress for sure. But when I read articles or interviews with these women, they're not necessarily talking about what we're talking about here. Hmm. And I guess I, I want to encourage people to realize like this needs to be part of the conversation. You know. So then, on the the topic of feminist. Um, redefining film from more cinema. Wow, cinemist. You heard it here. Yay. <laughs> Feminine <laughs> cinema. I, I have a mistress who loves film. It's a cinemist. Okay, great. <laughs> Good for you. Well, I thought it was just feminist <laughs> cinema. cinema. Someone Sorry. who's prejudiced against cinnamon? A cinemist. Oh. oh. <laughs> All right. My, my wife, actually. She, oh. she hates cinnamon. Wow. wow. Okay, good to know. That's a weird thing to I'll hate. file that fun fact away and make sure that I keep that. Um, <laughs> in case you... In case I ever make her cookies or something. Cinnamon rolls. you got to know. Yeah. yeah. Cinnamon-free cinnamon rolls. Yeah. Um, it's just rolls. <laughs> it's just rolls, rolls with sugar with on icing. them. With icing on top. Sorry, go on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but as we're talking about, like, diving in deeper past, you know, the female directors, the female um, writers, and really digging into the culture and the psychology and the why, there are tests, though. Like, there are tests. There's a, what's it called? Bechtel. The Bechtel, the Bechtel test. test. Mm-hmm. What is the Bechtel test? What does it, and what does it tell us? And are there, do you feel like that is going to be important as we move forward in redefining film? Or do we need to be creating more tests to check off? Mm. I don't remember what, so it, I, it, it, I have the rules of the Bechtel test okay. written down if you want me to say them instead. Yeah, I mean, it's named after a, a cartoonist. Yes, okay. she's a female cartoonist and she created a cartoon um, that was two women, um, I think, basically talking about how there weren't women represented in film. And she came up with this concept that uh, sh- she would only see a film if um, there were at least two female characters who are named. And also they have to have a conversation um, in the film that's not about a man. Uh, so it's a very like 
Basic. Low, low bar. <laughs> Test and- Which is surprising because it seems so simple, but it's actually not we're not necessarily seeing that passed all the time yeah it's there's a lot of movies that don't pass there's also a lot of movies that surprisingly do pass that are not very feminist at all Mm. um one movie that i've actually i've been like doing some research on lately is transformers Mm. so okay (laughs) transformers uh at least in my mind, and I think that there's some sort of um, consensus consensus about this, is is not what you would consider a feminist film at all. It's a pretty, actually, kind of just full-on toxic masculinity, yeah. just, like, adrenaline and... Um, Megan Fox. Testosterone. Just draped just over everywhere. the hood of a car. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's very, very interesting because technically that film passes the Bechdel test because... Megan Fox's character and the mother of the main character, Shia LaBeouf's character, mm-hmm. um, have a conversation about how beautiful Megan Fox's character is. And so they're not Ooh. talking about a man. They're not talking about the a man. The mom is just like, oh, wow, you're so beautiful. And she's like, oh, thank you. And like, do, 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 do. And I'm pretty sure right before that, the mom was asking her son if he had been in his room masturbating and like had this whole <laughs> very weird interaction. Um, and so it was like... It's it is very low Passes, bar, right? mm-hmm. and it's actually very interesting too because um, in the Transformers movie specifically, and this goes into some of the male gaze stuff, is that uh, if you read the script, Megan Fox's character should actually be a very empowering female character in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like she has the most backstory of like anyone in the film. She mm-hmm. like her character. Uh, her father used to steal cars. She used to help him fix those cars. That's why she knows about cars and therefore makes sense that she would be involved in a movie about robots that turn into cars. Mm-hmm. Like, she is actually the person who has, like, the most she's experience like the of cars. She's, like, individual. Yeah, yeah she's the main character that Shia LaBeouf plays is literally just, like, an imbecile the entire time <laughs> who just idiot. bumbles around. So there's, the se- there's, like, the iconic scene where she opens up his car hood mm-hmm. and it's Bumblebee, the Transformer or whatever, and she's, like, leaning over it. Her body is, like, draped over this car mm-hmm. as she leans over it. And the whole time you're watching the guy, like, look her up and down. The camera's looking her up and down. Yeah. But what she's saying is how she, like, knows about cars. She's talking about why his car isn't working. She's talking about how guys don't like when she talks about cars and how her boyfriend at the time doesn't like when he talks about she talks about cars because it makes him feel, like, demasculated. She's saying all these things that are actually, like, really great points and should be um should resonate with Mm. like a a more feminist audience Mm -hmm. but because of the way that it's filmed nobody remembers that in the film they come away with it thinking about how just how hot megan fox looked and like Mm -hmm. how she was just a piece of meat essentially to be objectified in this and her words go totally over Mm. your head because of the male gaze aspect there it's almost like the camera is like completely undoing everything that she's saying. Yeah. It's like, we're not actually listening to you. We're mm-hmm. just, yeah. like, sexualizing you yeah. right now. We're just lusting after also, you Also, right like, now. the outfit. I remember, because my, in my household, the Transformer movies were, like, the coolest thing. <laughs> and she did say something about his, some cap. A cap was loose. That's uh-huh. what I remember while she was examining the car. But her skirt is, like, so small 
and like her top is so small like I literally as a as a child could not comprehend how her short could be that short her skirt sorry not short her skirt should be could be that short and her butt not pop out I was amazed I was like what kind of geometry is this (laughs) but it's it's sad because she is saying very great things very empowering things and the way she's dressed and the the camera angle and the lighting everything it's just about her body Mm -hmm. and it doesn't matter and really she like she doesn't what she has to offer to the story doesn't really carry through because of those things I feel like throughout the entire film Mm -hmm. and it's like I ended up I remember being just annoyed because I felt like she like nothing was happening with her, but it was just yeah. because of the way she was filmed. Yeah. She even like saves the main like Shia LaBeouf's character's life oh, a yeah. couple times. He would be dead without her. She has a character <laughs> arc where she breaks up with that toxic boyfriend that she had. Mm-hmm. And I mean she winds up with Shia LaBeouf's character who's like also not great, but yeah. <laughs> it's she actually has so much more going on with her that you don't it, like you're saying, you don't even see it. The film, like, as a whole undermines all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is interesting. It's like you can have powerful female characters, but then you also have the power to completely undermine that power and be mm-hmm. like, well, it doesn't, we don't value that in our society, so. Yeah. Yeah. You can be whatever you want, but at the end of the day, like, you're not a man. Which a good one to ask about, actually, with this in mind, is Wonder Woman. Because I heard how feminist Wonder Woman is and how great it is. And I actually refused to watch it. I just was like, this isn't interesting to me. I felt burned out on superhero movies. And just because you have a female now doing superhero things doesn't mean I want to watch it. But that's my tangent. Mm-hmm. But thoughts, feelings, on Wonder Woman. Thoughts on, on Wonder, Wonder Woman? Woman? Because I won't, I don't want to like throw my mom under the bus, but my mom was going on and on about how good it was and how strong she is and all these things. And I was like, this feels like what we talked about earlier, just a man movie with a female doing man things. Mm. To go back to your Bechdel test question, (laughs) I think Emma's answer kind of reveals the inherent problem with it is that you can have a film that meets the criteria and still not actually perpetuate um, real change. Wonder Woman is interesting. I think I would also throw it in the same category, unfortunately, with um, Black Panther um, in some ways because the two, to me at least, felt like they were doing the same thing, which is, um, you know, primarily, you know, strong, like, either female characters or you know african-american characters you have a director who's either female or you know and so you have all these things that are checking off the boxes but then when i watch it and even like i get that also like a large community or large part of the black community is like really stoked about like wakanda and Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff so i'm not not trying to diminish that part but also when i watch a little bit of it too i'm like i don't i don't see you do anything different necessarily um or like we could swap out a white director and a white cast and 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 change the dialogue to be like it's just that's all you've done Mm -hmm. and like with wonder woman you know she has like the 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 love interest Mm -hmm. so like you have to have the love interest right i mean a woman can't just be on her own what you know a woman by herself what will she do i mean obviously there's like the whole thing about like 
she's from a community of women who are very strong. And so, like, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also, unfortunately, as a man, like, whenever a woman is portrayed in a tight outfit, whether or not your intention is, is, is to provoke any kind of sexual thing, mm-hmm. again, like, boys are trained to look at women that way. Mm-hmm. And so, in some ways... Even though it wasn't, it probably wasn't Patty Jenkins' intention. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a bit of like, "Whoa, Wonder Woman's hot," mm. and so guys would probably go watch the film, mm-hmm. not because they're looking at like, "Hey, this is a great advancement in like film and like feminists and and you know the equality of women." It's like, "Dang, that actress is really attractive. I want to go see her in a tight outfit." Like that's mm. just the reality of all of it. Mm. So then, really, when you look at Wonder Woman, even though. It was created by a woman. The main story is about a woman. Mm-hmm. It's really made for men still. Well, in some ways, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I was even thinking about this as I was watching uh, the sequel, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. I think so. Um, that one, uh, she's wearing her very skimpy outfit, and I was watching it, and I was like, "This isn't even. How does this?" protect her like first of all you <laughs> know like practical. she's not practical she like will like shield herself with her little arm braces uh-huh. but like her full like Chest. clavicle is totally exposed all of her legs are exposed yeah. and in the very end of the movie she wears this like full body armor suit yeah and because at first i was like, well, like maybe it. this is like a mobility thing like she needs to be <laughs> able to reach and everything but she's perfectly mobile in this full body suit that she puts on at the end and it seems much more practical to me as when yeah. you're fighting like super villains and dodging bullets and stuff, and uh, it it felt um, in that in the sequel even more to me. It felt almost uh, gratuitous, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would even say it's interesting because uh, you have the other example of a recent female superhero of Captain Marvel, right? Mm-hmm. And like, so Wonder Woman has been around for a long time. She's been in comic books for decades. She has been around. Kind of TV show um, in the 70s. Yeah, she's had shows. She's had other things. Captain Marvel was a male superhero that they turned into a woman for the newest Marvel movies, right? And so there's that... Um, there's there's an, an extent of sort of female insertion into male stories on both of those, whether it's just a more masculine story of the superhero narrative. And I do think there is some validity to, like, the balance of wanting to tell original female or original African-American stories, but also wanting to have, like, the very popular stories be put into that frame as well. Because, I mean, I've heard, like, African-American um, comic book, like, enthusiasts talk about how how important Black Panther was to them and how, like, they were seeing themselves in that powerful role that um, usually you saw a white Clark Kent type in, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think there's validity to that, but there's also um, so much importance in in bringing forward uh, more original stories that mm-hmm. come from the feminine perspective or from a yeah. um, different ethnicities perspective. Uh, and and in Captain Marvel versus Wonder Woman, like in a lot of ways, even though Captain Marvel is a, just a gender switch, mm-hmm. um, I would say that movie feels more feminist to me Hmm. because she doesn't really have the, she doesn't have the love interest. She doesn't Mm -hmm. have the skimpy outfits. She's much more of an independent figure and, and is um, bringing forth some of that like 
girl power. But on another side of that, <laughs> I just continue going forward. <laughs> yeah. She's also um, like part alien, right? Like mm. if, if you're familiar with one with Marvel, Captain Marvel, like she is an alien as well. And so, like, can we only have a powerful woman if she's actually not a human? I think that's another thing that we can think mm. about is, like, um, sort of only bringing in a powerful figure when it's something that's so, like, fantastical mm. that it's um, not possible. Like, where's our, like, female equivalent of, like, a Batman who's someone who doesn't have these superpowers and who is still mm-hmm. capable and, like, still strong and or Iron Man or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. I think that that is another thing to think about with the superhero thing. Yeah, that's what I thought well, of when you first started talking. I was like, well, there's Iron Man, like, and I don't think his suit's practical, but you can make a film about someone. Mandalorian. In full suit. Yeah. Mandalorian, which is so good. It's, it's so good, and it's so, like, there's so much depth to this person that you don't see. The mm-hmm. whole you, They made a film... And it's not about his image at all. I mean, except his suit looks, like, ridiculously cool. But, like, yeah. <laughs> it's not about his form or his sexuality at all. Yeah. Yet, like, something like Wonder Woman or whatever, like, her form is a <laughs> huge, like, piece of the, like, curb appeal of the film. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's about 50% of why I think yeah. most people go to see it. They're like, she looks great. I want to go watch her for two hours. Yeah. Yeah. The Mandalorian actor, I forget his name. I greatly uh, admire Pedro him. Pascal. I yeah. love him. I think he's great. He is. He's not exactly a looker. No. He's in <laughs> a new Wonder Woman. Oh, he's in a new Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's the villain. Awesome. Oh. He's Interesting. Yeah. That might make me watch it. <laughs> but that's actually an interesting tension that we bring up as we've talked about modesty on this podcast a lot and sort of like the restrictions that have been placed on women on what we're allowed to wear and what pieces of our body are allowed to be shown or not shown and there's this tension that we are in where on one hand we're not trying to produce films that are just women being objects of sexual desire but on the other hand we're trying to demystify the female form as a inherently sexual object at the same time Mm -hmm. and so like I think of our a Woman Crush Wednesday that we recently posted about Michelin Bardini. She's the first woman to wear a bikini in public, and she's photographed. And on one hand, it's like, you go, girl, you did that. But on the other hand, like, she paved the way for women to be able to, like, wear what they want at the beach. But on the other hand, like, she was, like, essentially a mannequin who wearing a male-designed article of clothing that was created for the male gaze. Mm-hmm. And she received, like, 50,000 fan letters from men. So it's like... Which, again, like, what do you put in a fan letter pre-dick pic? You know? <laughs> I'm like, you could still take one. They had cameras. I mean, black and white. Oh. And you'd have to be, like, so committed. I Sometimes de- develop it, too. <laughs> take I'm it to the, saying, to the dark room. Like, and they're like, whoa. whoa. <laughs> We're like... <laughs> She's not going to care about that. That's not impressive. <laughs> oh, gosh. I'm just Anyways, like, what back, are you putting that? Coming back, my question is, like, how do we reconcile that? Like, how do we both free the female form from being this objectified sexual, like, object? And then also, like, not portray women in that way. Or not intend to portray women in that way, but that's going to be the result no matter what we do yeah i was reminded of this film that came out i think in the 80s called witness with harrison ford and um 
see what's her name. It's a love interest from Top Gun. I can't remember her name right now. But Harrison Ford plays a cop who's investigating a murder in an Amish community. And so obviously, like, it's all about modesty. But an attraction develops between Harrison Ford and whoever the woman I can't think of, right? Kelly McGillis? Kelly McGillis. Oh, I pulled it out. You okay. heard it here, people. Aww. Kelly McGillis. Good name. <laughs> um, yes, exactly. And, and there's a scene where it, it comes to its peak and, and she strips in front of him. Um, and, you know, they obviously, they consummate their, their attraction for each other. And I think it, it's fascinating because, like, it's like this, it's a little bit of what you're talking about, where on one hand, there's modesty, but then it breaks through, like, we, almost like men can't actually handle it. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, I haven't been able to look at a, a woman's form in a long time. I need to have the woman stripped down naked mm. for the cop, an Amish woman. Like, I need to break through the modesty of all that mm. and and have this moment. Um, there's a photograph I love of um, Marion Cotillard. Cot- I can't remember. She's a French actress. She's been in some American films, too. Um, but it's a photograph of her sitting on a bed, and the, the back of her dress is open, and you can see her bra, and she's looking over her shoulder. And I think it's, like, it's this beautiful photograph that has sensuality to it, but it's not because I see her form as a as a body. Mm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The sensuality is because like, oh, we're in a bedroom, the way it's lit, mm. her dress is partially open. Like I have enough of imagination to know where this is kind of possibly heading, you mm. know? And I think like that's maybe part of the conversation is that like there's a way to actually be modest and still elicit from people these feelings that are, that we now have to go full on like tight outfits and, and nudity. And I think that because of the way that things are right now um, with how the male gaze is in total full effect and people aren't necessarily doing about it in some ways, I would say we have to go a little bit more on the conservative side as we are developing a new language and work our way towards something else mm-hmm. you know if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah i mean and i think that it's like <laughs> it sounds very simple but like actually acknowledging with with film that women can be attractive or alluring or whatever without taking their clothes off <laughs> you yeah. know like yeah. there's there's so like film has just like you mentioned has gone so far in in its like gratuitousness and just sort of playing into like what people like seem to want to see mm-hmm. uh, that, that there's no nuance and like I feel like that image you're talking about carries that that nuance and that sort of like oh I can I can see what is trying to be communicated here um, and 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 I'm, I'm tracking without seeing just like a woman laying naked on a bed you know mm-hmm. and there's 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 so much uh, even on top of that, like seeing uh, women in film portrayed as uh, valuable, as attractive, as um, w- having worth without having to take their clothes off yeah. or having them be the object of a yeah. man's affections. So. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we give them all those attributes without also with n- without also making them eye candy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is like that's interesting. I never thought of Wonder Woman that way. 
I had other issues with it, but not that one. Not that no, one. Now you do. <laughs> now I, do. I mean, another part of the conversation too is not just the portrayal on on film. It's that for a long time, women weren't even really thought of as the audience. Yeah, there are there um one another. Um, famous feminist film theorist Mary Doan I think her name is but that's what she wrote about she wrote about how the audience <clears throat> is predominantly seen as male mm-hmm. and so like not only are is the makers doing what they want to do seeing what they want to see but the audience itself like we're not thinking about what women want to see mm-hmm. or we'll throw them kind of a bone and like oh like we made um, I don't know a Betty Davis movie you know uh, what's the f- famous Betty Davis movie where she won an Academy Award? Shoot, can't pull it out right now. But like you know, it wasn't like you didn't have uh, films in the fifties and sixties, sixties with strong female characters and strong female leads. You know, Joan Crawford and um, um, Janet Lee, and I mean, there's a whole string of like really great female actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but the audience was still mostly men. That's what they were appealing towards. And so there's like these, if you watch those films, like, oh, there's the moment that like, it, it goes from like just being a female film to like, you, you, you pandering to the audience now. Mm. You're giving the man exactly what he wants, even though he's like come to this like chick flick, where, you know, we use like a really derogatory mm-hmm. term, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. It makes me think of like the, the children's movies that have like adult jokes thrown in so that the parents can make it through the children's movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, here's something for the man to be able to get through yeah. this movie. Yeah. Um, like, because this is apparently what you need to sustain you yeah. right. through, a, through a film. That's actually interesting because I see a lot of parallels in what you're talking about with the way that we structure our church services on Sunday. Whoa. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and, I've, and I've heard... Like many times, like I, I grew up um, on the worship team. I'm a soprano. I sing high. Was always like, mm, you can't sing lead because the men won't be able to sing with you and they'll feel uncomfortable, and that's not okay. But like, no one's ever considering like the female range of voice when it comes to like who a worship leader is. That's just one example. Interesting. But I fe- I hear that like that. I think that narrative is very entrenched in like the way mm. we structure our services a lot. Is like are the men going to stick around? Like, how do we keep them around? Mm. But no one's trying to, like, make sure that women are served or... And I, it's probably it probably serves the white audience, too, I'll add. I'm sure that there's some racial... Anyways, that leads me into so true. a total, like, non-related question. Well, it's related, but what about Christian films? I know you don't like labeling them, but... Films made with Christian messages oh, or... <laughs> I know, we can all just roll our no, eyes they're, they're right actually, now. They're actually the worst for perpetuating the, these problems. I know! Okay, I'm glad you agree. You heard it here, folks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I can't um, tell you the amount of times I'm like... Uh, like, I've seen in Christian films, a woman will bend over, and, like, the way the camera's placed, like, I'm totally looking down her shirt. Like, in a Christian movie... You're talking about purity and like what you know, or uh, um, relationships. You know, we're, we're we're big in the church about like making sure that like we have healthy, strong marriages, and yet like when I see the dynamics that are playing out on screen, it's like these are the most superficial, unrealistic marriages, and like I don't know, like both the men and the women are super two dimensional. 
and, and so like, yeah. and, and, and then a lot of Christian filmmakers don't have a, a strong background in like studying film. So the idea of like a language of cinema is like nowhere even near the radar screen. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've, hate to say it, but like they've been called by the Lord to make these movies and we're just going to figure out as we go. I'm like, great. But what you're doing is you're adopting a language that you grew up with that is inherently patriarchal and is oppressive to all these people. So you're going to adopt that in your, in your approach. Great. <laughs> Love it. You know? Uh, so you're making bad films and you are inadvertently doing exactly what you don't want to be doing. Whoa. Yep. And yeah. us, as the good Christian audience, goes and rents out theaters right. to support the new Christian film. Like, I'm thinking uh, about, like, Fireproof. Do you guys oh, remember that when yeah. that came out? Everyone lost their shit. And I was <laughs> sitting there, and I was like, this is the dumbest movie I've ever seen. Like, you just need to, like, fight for your marriage. And the woman's over here like, me, read the Bible. And then he's like okay, I'm going to do this love dare and it's going to miraculously save our marriage. And it's like, I was like, just my eyeballs were melting out of my head. But we go support those films. Totally. And so now it's like, oh, we're a success. Mm-hmm. We can make more stupid Christian films mm-hmm. that are not deep with story and frankly don't convey a very good Christian message. Well, and the problem I see too is that people are like, oh, they keep getting better. Like, Every new one is no, somewhat, they don't. And that's, they, they They're don't. all the same. <laughs> they don't get better. And that's because, like, it's like trying to fit, like, something into a Hallmark yes. frame. And that's what we're doing. And if you try and make that, every time you're going to get what you get. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. real bad. I mean, War Room. Courageous. Oh. War Room is, like, on one level, it's like, okay, this is great. We're, we're promoting prayer because it's really powerful. Awesome. Mm-hmm. The husband in that movie is like nearing the point of having an affair mm-hmm. and he's having dinner with a woman that he wants to actually have an affair with and i forget like how it resolved itself but it's kind of like sorry and she's like okay i've been praying for you i forgive you i'm like what <laughs> yeah uh-uh. like there's some deeper like I'd things that like, have to get worked out here like, like, you know like, I'd be like i'm gonna beat you i'm gonna throw some stuff i'm gonna scream right. i'm gonna cuss a lot and then maybe here's we'll your have ring a coming to jesus moment. f you dude like, no, I'd be like, I don't know, like i'm, I'm just... keeping it and i'm <laughs> well because and, and that's what's portrayed as the the christian female thing to do is like, like your husband okay, your husband can have process and he can go out and like watch porn or you know like Mm -hmm. have an affair almost have an affair or whatever or lie Mm -hmm. to you or whatever and your job as a female this is what christian films are teaching us your job as a wife is to sit back pray for your husband and then when he finally figures it figures it out then you forgive him and you can be happy yeah and that is not how relationships work i mean i wish as a man it worked that way (laughs) that'd be super easy yeah (laughs) and i mean but it's it's actually uh it's almost heretical because you're putting these women into the role of Christ mm-hmm. oh. as as this man's ultimate forgiver and, and offerer of grace. That's good. And so Ooh. like if you it, like you're essentially showing them that like okay women like your role is to be Jesus for your husband. Yep. And yes we are all striving to be more and more like Christ but like <laughs> that we we aren't yeah. and we won't be that and yeah. and mm-hmm. we have so much complexity in our relationships and there's so much more than just looking at him because the thing is is that when christ forgives people christ like 
knows them fully in a way that you could never know another person mm-hmm. and and has so much more understanding in that relationship with that person whereas you <laughs> need to have a conversation with your husband mm-hmm. when he comes <laughs> home and says that he was about to cheat on you like yeah. there's that there is so much more to it because when, you it's, up when it's counseling. people right yeah. and uh it's not your job as as a woman, as a wife, to or whatever, to just be the the hander out of of salvation. No. To your yeah. Oh my that's gosh, that's really good. good Emma. That's really good. I think it also Shoot. tells that like marriage doesn't take work. Right. It's like oh, once you confess and you've forgiven each other, there's no process yeah. involved. And there's I'm like, no, no you grappling have to with like rebuild <laughs> trust. Yes. Like I, as a wife, would be gutted like absolutely gutted and I, I don't know how I would you know move on from something yeah. like that but I can tell you it wouldn't be like that <laughs> and it's just a male idealized version of what this white right. character is yeah. like oh she's just gonna support me and love me through it all and I'm gonna struggle but she's gonna be there for me and, and it's like I was honest is, so now it's okay this is my challenge to you Christian filmmakers make a movie with a woman who has flaws who has an arc and who grows and has conflict. That mm. would be great. Yep. <laughs> I mean, what, are he, what, what if the affair or potential affair is what starts the movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The guy comes home and is like, why does my key not work in this door anymore? Uh-huh. It's because you're not living here right now. Because you messed <laughs> yeah. up, bud. You messed up. Yeah. So. I mean, it's interesting because, so, bringing it back to the Bechdel test. Yes. We There's actually another test. It's called the Makamori test. And um, that one was developed because of the film Pacific Rim, which I've never seen. I remember that. But um, oh, uh, from mm-hmm. what I've read about the film, uh, there's a very strong female character in it. But her being basically the only female character in the movie eliminates that movie from the Bechdel test. Um, yeah. Because even though she is a strong female character, she doesn't have the conversation with another woman mm. in it. And so the Mako Mori test says... There must be at least one female character. She must have her own story arc, which mm. is something that you had just touched on, which is what's making me think about this. And then her arc must not support the arc of a male character. Yes. And looking at both wow. of these tests, actually, mm. both of them are flawed. And one thing that actually um, the woman who created the Bechdel test has talked about is that, like, it's not supposed to be the barometer for, like, what is a feminist film, totally. but really it's it's just illuminating um, a flaw in yeah. filmmaking and, then, and, a, and a bad trend sure. that we have. Sure. Um, and so, like, l- looking at these parameters, like, you can see the need for both of them. Um, having having women have conversations that aren't just about men, um, having a woman who has her own character arc, which seems so basic, but it's something mm-hmm. that's not in so many films, especially yeah. not in these Christian films that we're talking about. Ooh. Yeah. And I think that's mm. what's sad to me is like, sorry, this is just a little side tangent, but in the Christian world, we get all up in arms about like whether there's a swear word or not in a movie. Yeah, you swore and, earlier. But like, I swear a lot. We're totally content to have our young daughters <laughs> watch these like one dimensional mm-hmm. like mirages of a human being yeah. be their example and they're mm-hmm. like, but I'm just like that's not okay like, like that is not the Rain there's so much subtext the there that's being so and it seems Proverbs like we only address the <laughs> the outright and the offensive when we're not addressing like the yeah underlying anyways yeah um, my question next mm. is um, how do we as filmmakers male and female move forward in 
into the film world, A, redefining the language and then being aware of the current language as it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, something I tell people in general, if they ask me, oh, should I do film school? Um, I always tell them, don't do film school. Film school in terms of like production. Right now, there are so many YouTube tutorials on all of it. It's not worth your time to spend money. I mean, I guess in some ways it is, but a cinema studies degree, I, it's super invaluable. I mean, the fact that I still have my reader from 20 years ago from my classes um, and many of my books, I think hopefully shows like how much I appreciate um, and, I, and I highly admire all my professors and what they have contributed. And as a commercial producer, director, editor, I have totally utilized everything they've talked about. Um, but that's how you actually understand the deeper context that we're talking about. Like, it, it's not just enough to have a woman in, in these major seats. It's important, but it's not enough. Um, and if you don't know how to actually engage in film and in culture um, with a certain level of knowledge and discernment, you're just going to actually keep going forward with the same thing. Now, I think that some people aren't necessarily geared towards cinema studies. I mean, it's super nerdy. Um, maybe I'm lucky because I'm half Asian and half white. Like, I can... No, probably not. Instantly <laughs> makes you more You got nerdy. the glasses. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm, I'm always straddling two You're worlds. You're in your blood. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but that's part of it. I mean, somebody somebody has to be the pioneer that says, you know what? I'm actually going to do all the hard work. Or me and a collective. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, think like all the great movements in art always started with fireside conversations between people who were talking about these kinds of things and they weren't content and they they started doing experiments and they started really examining what's out there and what they wanted to do differently to to move things forward um but if you don't know that kind of stuff you guys you spend your 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 time spinning on things people have already talked about mm-hmm. have already experimented with i mean laura mulvey's article came out in 1973 and it was big in like the academic world but in terms of like the mass world, the culture, people weren't talking about that. Now, like 50 years later, we've, we've, we've got out into public conversation. Hey, guess what? Women aren't portrayed very well in film. Oh, really? <laughs> That's been yeah. in academia for how, you know, how long now? Yeah. Um, and so I think people nowadays, especially young people, they're talking about things that like Laura Mulvey or like Susan Sontag or Mary Doan, or B. Ruby Rich, or Linda Williams, all these pioneers have like written extensively about. They've studied it. Why go out and reinvent the wheel when it's already at your disposal? Um, Kaja Silverman, you know, like, and there are probably, uh, there's so many other women that, you know, I've been out of the, the, the realm for a while, but like, read their stuff, you know? But it's not just about reading their stuff. Like, film theory is, is really important. You have to understand, like, how Aristotle fits into it, or linguistics, or um, art criticism, art history. Like, it's actually a very um, in-depth field of study. Um, It's history, it's psychology, it's sociology, it's gender dynamics, it's race dynamics, it's it's politics, it's it's education, it's it's culture. And if if we're just going to go, hey, I'm going to do a really, I'm going to learn how to make movies because... I want to tell stories and I have these really cool shots in my mind, guess what? You're going to fail. 
not like you may have success in a worldly sense, but if you actually want to change the conversation, it takes more thought than that. Um, you guys have the unfortunate joy working with me. So you, <laughs> this stuff I talk about all the time, but intentionality is so important. I don't want to ever put anything out there that I've not thought about extensively. And I don't want to put something out there that I didn't open up for conversation either. I, you know, I think it's important to have, as hard as it is sometimes, to have a different opinion in the conversation. Like, you guys always pick up on things that I don't see sometimes. And I, I really appreciate that. You know, I, I might be the director, but I'm not a perfect person. I don't have a hundred percent perspective on like what is the best thing possible for this work that I'm doing. And so I think, you know, it's a hard thing. It's a really hard, if someone actually wants to change film to be more inclusive, it's going to take a lot more work than just putting people into certain roles. Um, and, and I talk about the language of cinema and like in, in terms of like feminist stuff, but I don't even know what that would necessarily look like. You know, like, I haven't done the deep dive study to know, like, okay, what exactly are the constructs of the language that that lead towards that? I mean, obviously, we talked about the shot of, like, the pan, the tilt up, or, like, framing things, but those are the obvious things. There's actually more subtle nuances that that's where we need to get to. Mm-hmm. We need to be studying film to the point where, like, I mean, in, 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 in film... We had to, or sorry, in school, we had to take one scene from one movie and analyze that one scene for hours. Because we're looking at, okay, first pass, just get the story of the scene down. Great. Okay, now let's look at the camera. Let's look at the lighting. Okay, now we're looking at it in terms of acting. Now we're looking in terms of blocking. Now we're looking in terms of like, I mean, there's, there's so many elements to the whole thing. That it, it, it takes a lot of time to actually study these things. And then once you've done that, you have to research, what's the context for this film? What's happening around the world that this film is, is, is a part of that conversation? Mm. You know, what's it, it, was it in World War II? Okay, what's happening politically? But what's also happening? What are the race dynamics? What are the mm. gender dynamics? What is big business? I mean, all these things impact people, whether they're conscious of it or unconscious of it. And we have to become more aware of that. If not, we're, we're just passing these things on to the next generation. Um, so those would be my... Just a few things. My few things. That's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that's really important because like the uh, so much of, of art is entrenched and has been established for hundreds of years. Yeah. Like the way that Renaissance paintings were created affects the way that movies are made today. And that's why when you do pretty much any mm-hmm. art degree at a university, you have to take art history and mm-hmm. you have to learn about all of that. And so like the the who was who was creating those paintings then? It was it was white men, right? So like wh- whose gaze was was being established? It was totally. the white male gaze. So like this is the gaze that's still been perpetuated and like there's so there's so many other things as well that like come into it. So I yeah, this I mean, there's a famous one. painting, I think by Monet, of like a picnic. Mm-hmm. All the men are dressed women naked because you know that's what i like to do at a picnic right (laughs) so we're gonna go have lunch i'll be dressed you be sure you're naked but i mean yeah i mean you know and so people it's a very famous uh, painting i can't remember now but we we study it and 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 no one talks at least when i studied it we talk about the brush strokes and like this is the beginning of post-impressionism and all that kind of stuff 
but is someone going, hey, teacher, why are the women naked and the men not? We don't talk about that costume mm-hmm. necessarily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We appreciate it because it's art. Mm-hmm. And it's been like so established as like, well, this is the this is the standard for yeah. art. This is the way that it is. This is the epitome of of good art in this time. So this is what we we study. But like, we need to bring that critical eye to it as well. Yeah, I mean, I start going, I'm kind of popping on different things. But like, we just watched Home Alone with my kids because uh, it's a very classic Christmas I movie. I love the movie. I mean, I, and I will keep watching it. But you know, one of the jokes. Actually, sorry. One of yeah, there's two things about it. One of the jokes is the the constant knocking over of the um, the horse derby guy, whatever. Um, and I love it because, to me at least, it's a sign of like those are typically African American boys, and all throughout the Midwest, you see people with those like I think they're they're racists, like they're they're remnants of racist mentality. All over. I mean, I grew up in Illinois. So I'd see them all over, just like that. I love that it's a joke. Mm-hmm. That like it's constantly being knocked over. You know, um, I love the fact that Home Alone to me is about what it looks like when when both parents are so consumed in their careers that they're not actually looking over their family and making sure that the family is healthy and strong. Like if, if you actually look at the film, that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. It's about the dynamics that happen when parents are not being parents. They're more consumed with money and the acquisition of wealth and and, and status. Mm-hmm. That's how we need to start looking at these films. Like the plot sure is about a kid who protects his his home. You know, it's about catching criminals and it's fun. Yes, but John Hughes was a great director or and, and writer in this case because like he wove in those deeper meanings to it. Mm-hmm. But then there are also meanings that he probably didn't know that he wove into it. And just like it's looking at film in that way, being around people who talk about film in that way, so that you're, being, you know, iron sharpening iron type situation. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Probably wouldn't pass the Bechdel test though, <laughs> <laughs> which doesn't make it a bad film, as we've established. There's, I mean, I don't know if it would. His mom is basically the only real female character. Yeah, there's that you an see. aunt. And yeah, maybe she has a conversation <clears throat> with the aunt or one of the daughters, but. I don't know what they would even have been about. My favorite line is, really. you're what the French call les incompetents. <laughs> like the sister or the cousin. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know. so, <laughs> yeah. But, but still it's for the man. Well, and she, the on her yeah. journey back to her son, she had just encountered She's just talking about how she wants to get her son, which is about a male character. Which is, not, I'm not saying that makes it bad. No. It's just, it, it also wouldn't pass the Bechdel test. Neither would gravity, because the main character, is who is a woman, who's an accomplished engineer and astronaut, She's surrounded by men, mm-hmm. and there's also barely anyone in the movie because they're in space. So, also there's one other guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. So, Kerwin, as we kind of wrap up the episode, oh, it ends. Something I know. I know. So tragic. Yeah. This torture will but, end, Kerwin. <laughs> <laughs> but something we always ask all of our guests um, is, "What does woman being mean to you as a straight, half Asian?" Man. <laughs> yeah, we ask all of our guests exactly in exactly. that way. In that way. Yeah. Just yeah. pull all the labels out. Yeah, yeah. when Husband, we have like father, white women on, they're like, what? What do you mean as a straight half Asian man? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good question. I mean, I, I drove home from work 
the last couple of days actually thinking about what I what it means to me. I this is where I arrived. <clears throat> For me, it sounds like a declaration of what is to be, like what's down the road. Um, I think like as the Me Too mo movement has happened, as I learned about film study stuff and feminist film theory, um, I became more and more aware of like, oh wow, like there's there's like a daily battle that women go through. And what would it look like if they didn't have to fight anymore? And I feel like women being is like, I just get to be. I don't have to like, I don't have to put the keys in my hands as I walk to the car. I don't have to carry mace around. I don't have to think about like, is this man looking at me or is he actually caring about me? Like, what does it look like just to be like, I'm good. I'm safe. I can be who I want to be. So that's what I think women being means. That's really beautiful. <laughs> it was. Thank you for sharing, and it's Hopefully now. Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah. We just I have get a daughter. On society. Yeah. <laughs> How old is she now? She's ten. She's ten. Oh boy. She's already. We're having teenager. Wow, I got my period at eleven, so good luck. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm married. <laughs> I don't know what that stuff really. Is. I know what it is, but I don't. <laughs> so now's the part I'm just gonna segue away from that as fast as possible now's the point no no let's keep that <laughs> let's just let's dive into that <laughs> where you can share resources where you can plug where people can find you you know people don't want to find me <laughs> give the people what they want sure um, well I have the distinct pleasure of launching a new production company with these fine women over here um, who's that? Uh, <laughs> called Sawyer. Um, and there's kind of a fun story behind where the name came from and all kinds of stuff with it. So you can find us on Instagram, Instagram, heysawyer.studio. Mm -hmm. Um, we shot some really fun stuff and both video and photography that they were both a part of. Um, Emma helped design the website, you know, Kelly was producer extraordinaire we've been like editing like crazy so like go check it out it's fun um i think i don't know if i was conscious of like this conversation but i think we tried to i mean granted like your husband's the main character yeah it's a story about a man yet again yeah. <laughs> the male name so it wouldn't pass the brechtel test no 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 <laughs> that's fine maybe next time we'll yeah find a female mm -hmm. to be our I'm not opposed to that at all. Yeah. Um, so that'd be one thing we could plug. Resources. I mean, I mentioned a whole bunch of um, women who are really um, strong in this area. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think I can rewind and listen to that again. But yeah, we yeah. can post resources on uh, our social uh, later. So yeah. And, and you know, I mean, if you look up um, on Wikipedia, there's a, a brief article about feminist film theory, and it lists out most of those women mm -hmm. um it lists out most of their more um prominent works um <clears throat> as a kind of like fun side thing if you're super nerdy there's an old film called peeping tom which it, it <laughs> sounds like what it is um, and it ruined the career of a very famous british director michael powell i think it was like he would you look at his filmography very prolific and then he does his film it gets banned in the UK, and he basically doesn't work anymore. Um, it's a weird film. But if you watch the Criterion collection of it, 
um, they had Susan Sontag, who is a very famous um, writer and and theorist of, on multiple levels, provide the commentary on it. Mm-hmm. And so it was really fascinating to watch the film once and then go back and then rewatch it as she's analyzing it from this perspective of mm-hmm. like the male gaze and like and this is like I think the film was made in 1965, so it's before Laura Mulvey's article, um, before like we really, really got into it. But it's really awesome to watch a very um, intelligent and um, discerning woman analyze a film called Peeping Tom and point out to you like all the things that kind of encapsulate a high level feminist film theory. Mm. Oh, check that out. Might have to be a little watch party for the three of us. <laughs> it's disturbing, I'll just, I mean, because it's called Peeping Tom. Yeah. So. Yeah, it sounds yeah. probably is what it sounds like. To a T. So yeah, <laughs> um, enjoy. Yeah, <laughs> hope you don't have fun, everybody. Yeah. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Kerwin talk about feminist film theory. Um, if you loved it, give him a little like and a comment and a shout out. And um, uh, you can follow us on at Woman Being Podcast or check out our website at womanbeingcommunity.com and. As we always say, please like, comment, share, interact, subscribe, subscribe, <laughs> follow, and leave a review. So, thanks. Thank you. Bye. 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 <laughs>